Praise the Lord. Well, welcome again today. This is a gorgeous day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Somehow it's easier when the sun is out, but we need to learn to do it when the sun's not out. We need to learn to do it when the circumstances in our life are not good, because that's really when the power of that prayer and that prayer of thanksgiving releases a power in our lives to overcome those things. So this is why I say that so often. I say it for myself as well as for you. A couple of things I want to mention, and then we're going to pray together this prayer of Unite 714. Uh, Chris mentioned, and, and I'm sure many of you are aware, um, this last week uh, Governor Baker did something we weren't really thinking he was going to do just yet. But he has permitted churches to open their doors to receive people back to gather together under very strict restrictions. And uh, those restrictions are a little more generous than we thought they might be when they come. We've already been at work to plan and prepare for the day when we open our doors here for you to be able to come back. And the guiding principles that we have of that is not just what the government permits us to do. It's so that we know that we're comfortable that when we bring you back in here, we can keep you safe, first of all. And secondly, that when you're in here, you will feel safe, because if you do not feel safe, then you will not enjoy and be able to experience the fullness of the worship experience that God intends for us to do. I'm aware that to even today that many of my friends, some, some of my friends, not many, are opening their doors today. Some churches are larger and some churches are smaller, and I've spoken with several of these pastors and, and shared what I believe, and they've shared what they believe. And, and this is ultimately what I believe. I believe each pastor is aware of his church and cares about his church, and each pastor, his or her church, and knows the situation and, is, is, and has to feel peace in his heart or her heart that it is the right time and the right way to do it. So I make this commitment to you that we will open these doors to you as soon as I am comfortable and confident that we can keep you as safe as we possibly can and that you will be feel safe when you come here and that to, so that you can experience and enjoy a time of worshiping together. There's a lot of pressure to do that and to come back, but I'm not allowing that pressure to force me to do something that I'm not at peace about doing yet. And each church is in a different situation. We live in a residential community, and we, uh, and we have very close to us. And we have to, and I want to, take them into consideration. Because when you come into this church, you're coming into their home, into their area. And I want them to know that we're taking care of them as best we can. I'm not going to be governed by that, but I'm influenced by that. Other churches are not in that situation. So each church is a different situation. So what I'm asking you to do, and I need you to do, is to pray for me and for our staff that we may make the right decision at the right time. I believe it's soon, so we will keep you posted. We're making faster progress in this than I thought we could make. But So we're moving along with it. We're not going to delay. But I know some large, some churches, that even some in this area, that are not planning to open until sometime this summer because they their other factor is what is the quality of experience when we come back together. If we can't see each other, we're covered by masks and we can't really even sing out loud that much. What is, is it worth that? So those are the factors that we have to take into consideration. So I covet your prayers for the wisdom to make the decision that's right for this fellowship, for this community of believers, so that you can be comfortable and be part of it. 
The other thing I want to let you know is even when we come back together, we're going to continue to live stream. So don't feel pressured that you have to come back and prove something about yourself because this is not about proving anything to anybody. This is about doing what's right that you feel comfortable in and what we're safe in. And that is the predominant factor that I'm taking into consideration. So I do appreciate your prayers and I do believe, and we will have some information out to you very, very quickly. The last thing I want to mention before, uh, we, before we go um, into and pray for the, um, the United, 7, United 714 prayer is uh, this family prayer blog that I've started. Uh, one of the things that God put on my heart is that one of the things He's dealt with me about is that this church is, one of the things that this church is not that strong in is learning how to pray together. Many of you pray often and that's good, you need to pray. But be able to come together as a church and be able to pray together, the power of that prayer. And part of the reason we've struggled with it is because we've never really developed, many of us have never, have never really developed this in our own families. And it occurred to me what a great time to begin to develop that habit and that skill, because it is both a habit and a skill, when you're all forced, to, many of you are forced to be home and looking for things to do. So what a better time and what a better thing to learn to develop with your family than to learn to pray together. Now, a family's not limited to mother and father and four kids. If you, if you are uh, like we are, we are empty nesters. We've been that for a long time. So we're a family. And maybe you're alone. Maybe you're a single uh, parent. You're a family. Maybe you're just alone by yourself. Well, connect with somebody else by, by video or, or by phone and learn to pray together with somebody else. Here's what you'll learn by that. It, 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 it challenges your own prayer life to pray together with somebody else. It makes you vulnerable. But there's a principle of prayer. It cl- brings you closer and closer together. You will never become closer, to, more close to anybody than the people that you pray for and that you pray with. So I started this blog two weeks ago to help us to do that. I encourage you to look at it. You go to our website. I think it's the tab that says more. And somewhere down there, I think it's the bottom, is the pastor's family prayer blog. It's the only blog in there. If you click that on, you can see the blog each week. It comes out each week. And then I'd like you to join it and share your information and comments and struggles back and forth because the intention isn't just for me to teach you. It's for us to form a place where we can connect together our experiencing learning to walk this out. And so that's what this is all about. I would encourage you to look at that. We all need to learn to develop in prayer. And that's to do that fully, we have to learn how to pray together with other people. Praise God. So speaking of prayer, if you've already downloaded this prayer off of our website or off of uh, the website Unite 714, you can go through this with me. Otherwise, you can just come and agree with me in prayer. So I will read the first, the, there are three verses here, four verses this is based on, and then I will, we will go through the prayer together. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 61, verses 3 through 4. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the garment of despair. They will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. Boy, that's good news. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, 
who publishes peace and brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And finally, Acts 4.31. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together, boy, I'm waiting for this to happen, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your planting us in Your Father's kingdom. Through Your great salvation, we have received the righteousness, peace, and joy we need to thrive in the midst of the trial and tumult currently shaking our world. We ask You that, our, your, we ask you that your divine peace will settle over our broken world and supernatural grace will sustain those who have suffered great loss during this pandemic. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to release your peace into our world to replace the panic. Release your comfort to alleviate the grief and the sorrow in the hurting hearts of mankind. Heavenly Father, we also thank you for your promise to rebuild, repair, and raise up broken and ruined places. You are filled with compassion for the struggle of humanity. We are confident that your heart has been moved by the devastation wrought by COVID-19. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to eradicate this virus, provide supernaturally for the many affected, and heal the shattered hearts worthwhile. Lord, wherever your kingdom is proclaimed and established, there is healing. And as we approach Pentecost Sunday, we ask you for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your church and the world that we may be, have been called to reach. Grant us the boldness, to need, boldness we need to clearly proclaim your word with power and confidence. Lord, send a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to embolden us to powerfully proclaim the message of the gospel. We pray this in the name of our dear, your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, we thank you that you've heard that prayer. Now we pray furthermore as you've told us to pray for those that are in authority and leadership over our lives. We pray for our president, Father. You've not talked to us about whether we like somebody or agree with them or disagree with them, but you've called us as a body of believers to pray for them. And so we come and pray for our president, Father, that you have ordained that office in which he stands. And Father, we pray that you would give him wisdom and discernment to know what to do, to stand against the spiritual pressures that come against him, to force him to do what's not in your will, and give him discernment to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. Surround him with men and women who will give him godly counsel that hear your voice and know your spirit. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for those that are in direct leadership over our lives here, for Governor Raimondo, that you would protect her and keep her safe and strengthen her in her heart and her spirit. Father, we cannot imagine the pressure that's been upon her and her family, and we ask you to give her the strength that she needs to lead this state of Rhode Island. Give her the wisdom that she needs to make the right decisions regarding timing and the decisions to make. And we thank you, Father, that you have put in her life people that hear your voice, that know you, and that serve you. And we thank you for their lives, especially one in particular that we know. Lord, that you would give them the strength and the grace to continue to help and give godly counsel and godly wisdom. We pray for Governor Baker, who, overs who oversees many of the part members of this church. 
We pray also for His strength and grace and wisdom to be able to stand in His office and make right decisions, Father, that He had the right discernment and You would surround Him with men and women that know Your voice and that give Him godly counsel. And for that we give You thanks. We continue to pray for those that are on the front line of treating and minister to people that have already that have contracted this disease, that You protect them, Father, and their families, that You keep them strong, Lord. Help their families from whom that many of them have been separated for periods of time. We pray for those that have lost loved ones, Father. We pray that You would give them comfort as only You can comfort them. And we pray for those that are still battling this disease, Father. We just speak health and healing over them. We declare that the, by the stripes of Jesus, you paid for the healing of their bodies. And whether they understand that or not, we claim that by your grace and mercy for them. And finally, Father, we pray for the pastors, other pastors that were in this area, that you will continue to give them wisdom and grace and strength to make the right decisions they need to make for the people over whom you've given them charge and responsibility. And Father, we pray finally for the purpose for which you've called the church in this hour, that you would give us boldness and confidence to stand up and to do what you've called us to do, that you would fill us with your spirit, a spirit of boldness and a spirit of power and a spirit that's bold to proclaim the gospel, and that you would, that you would, you would give it your endorsement with signs and wonders, Father and that you would pour your Spirit out in this time of great need to fill the gap that's been left in people's lives by fear and by death and by devastation. And for these things we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I would encourage you to continue to pray that prayer and to continue to pray these things, for they are needed so much in our world today. Prayer is the power that the church has. Prayer for things that look impossible, impossible things in your life, impossible things that look impossible in the world. Jesus, and we've been talking about the God who's the God of the impossible, who's almighty. And that's the God who's your father if you're in Christ. That's the God who's listening to us today. And that's the God that's just waiting for us to ask him to release the power of his angels to carry these things forth. So for all these things we pray that you've been praying for, expect and believe that God's answering those things and expect to see the answer. Amen. Let's, do, let's pray one more thing. Let's pray over what God would like to say to us today. Father, we thank you this morning as we turn to your word. Father, I know that there are things you want us to see this morning. Your word says there are things that eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man, all that you have prepared for those who love you. But Lord, you have given us your spirit to search the depths of your heart and to bring them forth and to show them to us. And so we're asking you to do that today. Father, especially in this hour, there are things you want to say to your people, and specifically to these people here at Faith Christian Center. They may not be physically in this building, but the church is not this building. It's the body of Christ and the relationship we have together with you and we have together with one another. So speak to us through your spirit today. And Father, as best I know how, I yield my mind, my tongue, and my heart to you, that I would only speak forth what you want to say and the way you want to say it. And for this we give you thanks and by faith, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been talking about in this series, because who is this God you serve? I really felt God wanting to draw us to draw our attention to Him and off of ourselves, and so much of the time the church talks about what God's done for us, 
but we forget who it is this God is that we're, is our Father. We forget who this God is that has called us to walk with Him. We forget who this God is, and when we're in a time, this amazing time that we've been living in of this pandemic, a time of tremendous uncertainty and a time of tremendous fear, but a time of great opportunity for the church It's important that we remember who this God is. This God is not in heaven today and He's not been shaking His hands and shaking His head and wondering, what are we going to do? This caught me so much by surprise. It may have caught us by surprise, but it never caught God by surprise. Nothing catches God by surprise. He knows everything. And God is infinitely able to handle this situation not just from heaven, but in our lives. He's infinitely able. He always has an answer to whatever emergency you face. Whatever emergency we face as a church, He already has an answer prepared for that. So we need to learn to take our eyes off of ourselves and the circumstances and begin to set our eyes on who this God is. And that's really what's been behind this series we've been looking at over a number of months now. So what have we seen about this God? We've seen that in Exodus, and we'll talk more about that today, God came to His people to reveal to them who He was, what He wanted them to know about Himself. They had just come from 430 years of living as in, 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 in bondage to a nation which was the strongest nation in the world at that time, the nation of Egypt. And they had lived for much of that time as slaves in bondage with no freedom, serving the Pharaoh and building his pyramids and his cities. But the nation that they lived in for this 400 years, that's at least 10 generations, was a nation that was saturated with idolatry. The studies that I've looked at show that they had over 2,000 gods that they worshipped. Whenever they had a need that they saw, they, found, they created for themselves a God that they looked to to meet that need. And many of them they built idols to, and some of them they didn't have to build idols to because they worshipped creation that God had made, like the sun and the moon and the stars and the clouds. So this people that were God's covenant people, when God brought them out of Egypt, God has to reintroduce Himself to them and reintroduce himself to them uh, what he knew they needed to know about him. So he called them out and he began to reveal these things to them through Moses, their leader that God had called and ordained. And we saw that in Exodus chapter 20, in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God introduces himself, first of all, I am the Lord, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means I am the one that's self-existent. I don't exist by anybody else. I am, there is no one before me. Nobody created me. I just always have been. I am and I always will be. I never change. And everything else that exists came out of me. I am the Big Bang. I am the foundation, the beginning of everything. And that's the most important thing perhaps to know about this God. Then he said to him, and I, that God, that Lord, am your God. You've served 2,000 gods, the moon, the sun, the harvest, but I am the true God, the one you look to, to provide your protection, to provide your provision, to provide your identity. And then we looked at this God who is self-existent 
and we looked at this God who is wanted to provide for them, and then we saw God reveal Himself to Abraham as the Almighty God. So the God that wants to be our God and provide for us and protect us is all Almighty. There's nothing that He can't do. There is nothing impossible. And we looked at that. It's important to know that your God is almighty, especially in a time like this. And then we learned that God is not only almighty, but God is also our co-laborer. We talked about this last time. This God has condescended to involve us in what He wants to do in the earth so that He's called us and equipped us so that we have a role and He has a role. We have a part, He has a partnership together with us. And now we're going to look at perhaps the last aspect of God, but maybe the most important aspect of God we need to look at. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 6. This is a side of God that you don't hear talked about very much today. There was a time back in the 1940s and maybe early in the 50s, there was a time back then when, um, when God... Uh, people were very conscious of this. But today we've kind of lost sight of this. You may hear it mentioned, you hear the term mentioned, but we're going to look at this God that we've just talked about is also a holy God. We're going to talk this week more about God revealing Himself and the purpose behind God wanting us to know He's a holy God. And then next week we'll look at what this holiness is. Before God commissioned His people to do anything for Him, whether they were an individual or they were the Israel themselves, He started with something they needed to know about Him before everything else. So we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 6. This is the story of the call, God's calling the prophet Isaiah for what He was calling him to do. Isaiah is perhaps the most important prophet in the Old Testament. He's the one to whom God gave the greatest revelation of the, of the Messiah uh, in, in his revelation in the book of Isaiah. He was a very holy man. He was most likely a very wealth, come from a wealthy family. He was already serving in the king's court. So he was, he was of high society. He, was, he may have had some royal blood in him. But, but, but so he is a man of, of a good man. He's a whole, what we would call a holy man. But before God commissioned him to speak on his behalf, he had to have an experience. So we'll begin in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, we don't know whether this was in a dream, a vision, or whether he was physically called up into the throne room of God. How he got there doesn't matter. What he saw is important. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe, that's the, like the, the, a bride's train, filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. That's a kind of angel. And eat. Now, when I read this, don't, your mind's going to try to picture this, and we really can't, because this is things that are beyond the capacity of our mind to imagine. And Isaiah is just using the best words he can think of to use this. Uh, seraphim, each had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. This is what I wanted to get to. And one cried out to another, This is in heaven now. 
and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So Isaiah seeing the throne of God and surrounding this throne of God are these angelic beings that all they do is cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth is filled with His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. There are churches nowadays, modern churches, that have smoke machines that kind of create an atmosphere. This was no smoke machine. This was the presence of God. Was, the atmosphere was so thick that the only term Isaiah could use to describe it was like it was like smoke, fog. And look at Isaiah's reaction. Woe is me, for I am undone. Remember, he's a holy man. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken from the tongs of the altar. And he, with it he touched my mouth. The altar represents a sacrifice. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has taken away. Your sin is pur- purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's God. Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Now notice what's happening here. Before God would commission him to do anything, God wanted him to have a glimpse of his holiness. Here's a man who is very holy compared to other people, and God wanted him to see, you may be holy compared to other people, but I want to show you what holiness is. Come and get a simple glimpse of me. And Isaiah's first reaction when he saw a glimpse of the holiness of God was immediately to see how unholy and unclean he was. Now, if he walked among his own people, if he were here walking among us, we might look at him and say, wow, what a holy man. Because we, de- we decide how holy we are by comparing ourselves with one another. When we have a room here full of people, we have this contrast. We have some people in here that say, whew, it's cold in here, the air conditioning's too cold, too strong. And then we may have somebody else sitting next to them going, whew, it's too hot in here. Well, it's only one temperature. But they're experiencing it differently based on their own body temperature. And we do that with holiness and righteousness. We use it as a relative term. Well, I feel pretty good about myself because the people I hang out with are a bunch of jerks. Or, I feel very insecure in church because most of these people that sit around me, oh, they have their hands in the air and there's tears coming. They're so holy. You have no idea what's going on inside of them. God wanted Isaiah to see what true holiness was because God doesn't compare us against one another. And this is scary. He compares us against Himself. And we'll look at that down the road. So don't get afraid of that. He's made provision for that. That's why Christ came. So Isaiah's first reaction was to see himself as God truly sees him. And that's essential for our walk with God. To see ourselves as God truly sees ourselves. And he didn't think about this. By the way, the angels weren't saying, you know what? Today I got to say how holy God is. No. 
that's the reaction to His holiness. You cannot help but immediately react to the pure holiness of God if you were to see Him as He is. I want you to get a taste today of this, and then next week we'll look at it in more detail. So, so Isaiah now sees his own uncleanliness in contrast to God's, and then God has an answer for him. One of the angels goes and takes a coal off of, off of an altar there, and that altar represents a sacrifice, which ultimately represents the altar of the cross, the sacrifice of Christ. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. And so he uses that sacrifice to cleanse Isaiah's lips so now Isaiah can speak words of a holy God. And that was before he... Then he calls him to go and do what he's called him to go to do. So let's now talk about... We began earlier about Israel coming out of Egypt. God has brought them out. We've looked at this before through, the, through wonderful miracles, part of the sea. We sang a little bit about that this morning. He's brought them out into a wilderness. It's a barren wilderness. And after several weeks out in that wilderness, God brings them down to Mount Sinai. And God now wants to introduce Himself to them so that they can see Him like Isaiah saw him, so that they will respond to him. And we're going to look at that. So let's go to Isaiah 19. In the, in the third month, we'll pick up in verse 3. And Moses went up to the mountain, up to, to God, and the Lord God called him out from the mountain. And he said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you, look at this, to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for the er all the earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and he laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord spoke to us, so shall we do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come down to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So we see here that God had a purpose for coming down. He wanted the people to see Him just as He wanted Isaiah to see Him so that they would reverence who He is. Because the gods in Egypt, there were 2,000 of them. They just took them for granted. But this is the true and living God. This is the real God. And they want, He wants them to know who He is so that they will reverence and respect Him and that they will obey Him so that they can have a relationship with Him, so that they can be protected and be provided for. We look at this wonderful Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, I will save the Lord. He is my rock and my refuge, my God, in whom I will trust. And all the rest of it talks about that God's provision and God's protection. But we forget those first two verses. It's He who dwells in that secret place. God's protection, God's provision that He wants to bless you with is comes from this relationship with Him. But we can only truly 
enter in that relationship when we see who He really is and we recognize who we really are and then we can truly see His grace and how much He loves us. And I think the reason the church struggles today with all these things is we've lost touch with who He really is and His holiness. We just kind of come into church and we're just so casual about whether we even come to church. Well, it's a nice day. I think I'd rather go to the beach than come to church. That tells us what we really think of this God. We don't see Him for who He is. We see Him as something out there that may be a help to me. He may not be a help to me. And we really don't have that reverence, that holy reverence for God. So the beginning, the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's this reverence for His holiness. So we need to awaken to this holiness or come back to this holiness. So let's go over to verse 10. In verse 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. So he's talking about they have to prepare for three days before they can come into the presence of God. Now think about this. They've got to wash their clothes. Why? Because their clothes were dirty? No, I'll tell you why, what all this was about in a minute. And let them be ready on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people around the base of the mountain, saying, Take heed for yourself that you do not go up on the mountain and touch its base. For whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death, and not a hand shall touch him, but he surely shall be stoned and shot with an arrow, whether man or beast he shall not. Imagine being told, if you're going to come to church tomorrow, make sure you wash your clothes, and if you touch the wrong thing, the elders, they can't touch you to take you out of church. They're going to stone you right here or shoot you with an arrow. So there's something serious going on here. Verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people uh, and, and... and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes and he said to the people be ready for the third day and do not come near your wives in other words husbands you cannot have a physical relationship with your wives for these three days what's God doing here? is that God couldn't stand seeing people around the base of the mountain with dirty clothes? or God couldn't stand seeing a a husband come here if he'd had relationships with his wife no God was sending a message to them that you've got you've to realize who you're coming to listen to. You've got to realize this is signifying to them that you are a special people and that I am a real God and I am a special, I'm a holy God. And so when you come to me, you need to think about who it is that you're coming to see and who you are that's been chosen to come out of all the rest of the world and be a special people to this God. He was waking them up and instructing them in what holiness really means and that they were a holy people. Verse 17, So Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in a fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So here's what it looked like when they came to the foot of the mountain. The mountain shaking and there's a cloud covering the top of it so you couldn't see God's presence. 
and a fire was shooting up into heaven. And then God called Moses up to them. He was not scaring them, but he was showing them who he is. Let's go to verse chapter 20. Verse 20. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, because now what happens is the people got scared. They saw all this and they started backing away and they said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you go talk to God. We're going back to our, to our tents and you come tell us what he said. Then Moses said to the people, verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be upon you, that his reverence may be upon you, so that you may not sin. So the reason God was showing them His holiness was that God was showing them so they would not sin, so that they would follow Him and that they would obey Him because He knew that's where that place of blessing would be. So let's talk now how about God went on with this program. So this is the, this is the start God has. And now for the next, it ends up for the next 40 years, God's wants to dwell in the middle of their camp. So God brings Moses up on the mountain and instructs him how the camp is to set up, where the tribes are to set up, where the families are to set up when they're camped, and then how they're to march. And God tells Moses that in the middle of this camp, he's to establish something called a tabernacle. And there's a reason for that. And he gives him very specific instructions of how that tabernacle is to be made. There's to be an outer curtain made of white linen that goes around this r- big rectangle. And, and it's to open to the sky. There's the, 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 it's just dirt inside. It's just a barrier so that the people in the, in the camp can't see what's going on on the other side of this curtain. On the other side of this curtain is where the priestly tribe operated and did their ministry, and it's where the sacrifices were performed. So the people that were not inside that in, on the other side of that barrier in the tabernacle, they could smell the, 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 the burning animals, they could see the smoke, but they couldn't see what was going on inside. And then inside this enclosure was a, an enclosed tent. And that tent had covering over it that had a number of different materials covering it. And I want to have time to get into the details. If you want to see the details of that, I wrote a book a number of years ago called The Tabernacle of Moses in the Wilderness or Why Study an Old Tent. So we've got to move along. So, but the innermost material was the most glorious material. It had purple woven in there, but, but, the, but it had a gold thread woven among it. Not gold color, it was gold. There were two rooms, and inside uh, the, the first room was called the Holy Place. And it was a room, and remember this is covered over, and this was a room that had three things in it. It had a, a table called the table of showbread, on which were twelve piles of unleavened bread. It had an altar on which an incense was burned, and that was covered with pure gold. The table was covered with pure gold. And then there was a candlestick. It wasn't one candlestick. It had a number of, of, of burning candles-like things in it, and it was made of solid gold. And, and, and that's what lit up this room, the, the flames of, these can, of this fire on this candlestick. And the priests would come in there once a week and they would eat this bread called the, ta- the, the show bread, the bread of the presence. It is, it is a representing communion or fellowship with the God who is in the other room. Now the other room was called the Holy of Holies. 
And this was a room that had in it a, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which they made the Raiders of the Lost Ark you know, 30 some years ago. And this was a container, a box, that was overlaid with pure gold. And in it were three things. There was some, a gold pot with some of the manna, the bread that God dropped out of heaven. There was Aaron's rod that buttered. I don't have time to get into what that means. And then there were the tables of the actual covenant that God wrote with His finger on the top of the mountain that God gave to Moses. And that represents the Word of God. This was covered with a covering that was solid gold called the mercy seat. And the top of it had two angels. This was all hand beaten out of a solid piece of gold. And they were bowed together with their wings touching. And in the middle of those angels' wings on the top of the mercy seat, God's physical presence dwelt there. So whereas the outer room called the holy place was illuminated by the light of those candles, this room was lit up only by the presence of God Himself. This room, because it was God's presence, was absolutely holy. So no man could go in there and live with the one exception of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, having performed just the right sacrifice, just the right way, wearing just the right clothes, he was permitted to enter in that. If he made one mistake, he died on the spot. Why? Because God was angry? No, God's pure holiness, the Bible says, we'll talk more about this next week, is like a burning fire that will burn up anything that's impure. It will destroy it because of its pure holiness. So I'm sharing that with you to show you this holy God was now living in the middle of this people, but He couldn't just be out among them. He had to have this... The people had to be protected from His holiness by all of these things. And I don't have time to get into it. That's what I got into in that book. Every one of these things represents something about Christ who is our protection from God's burning holiness. So I got to... Oh, I got to move along. Okay. So... God wanted them to learn reverence so they could follow Him. By the way, the word tabernacle means a dwelling place. So, let's pick up here. So from the outside of the camp, all the people saw, outside of the tabernacle, all the people would see is during the night this pillar of fire that went up from out of the, out of the ceiling of this, of this holy of holies, and during the day it was a pillar of smoke. And that's how God led them when that cloud moved they followed that cloud. That's another whole series of teachings which we don't have time to get into. And God was getting their senses familiar with the fact that they couldn't just come strolling in to the presence of God and say, Hey, God, how you doing today? That they was training them for a holy reverence. Now, what's that got to do with us today? I mean, after all, we're in the age of grace. Grace has talked about so much today. Well, I'm glad you asked me that question because we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 because the writer of Hebrews talks about this. Now, he's already talked about some other things. So he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and with burning fire. So the writer of Hebrews is now re- referring back to what we just studied. And he's going to compare where we are now, what the church is now, with what God's people were back then and the different covenant that we're in now. 
and to the blackness and to the darkness and the tempest. Verse 19, And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word would not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. If, if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you've, not come, to, you've come to Mount Zion. Now that was Mount Sinai, which was in the wilderness. Mount Zion refers to the city of Jerusalem where God has established His presence. It started with King David built a replacement for the tabernacle there, which was very different, and then the temple itself was ultimately built there. So Zion refers to the covenant that we have with God through Christ. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So this, this is not just a physical place of Jerusalem, but refers to our place in the presence of God because we're raised with Christ right now. Right now, even though we're in this body here, if you're a Christian, the Bible says in Ephesians, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. To the innumerable company of the angels, to the great general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. What's this all talking about? Well, first of all, it's referring to, to the churches in the presence of angels. Then it talks about uh, that, that, that we are the, the just men made perfect. Those in heaven are just men. No, we've been justified. We've been made right in God's sight and made perfect. That means the completion. Those that are in heaven are complete until their body is resurrected. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So in this heavenly, in this heavenly sanctuary, we have a mediator that stands between God and us. So we don't have to be afraid to come into the presence of God. We have a mediator. In fact, over in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, it says, because we have a faithful high priest, we can come with great boldness into his presence, into the holy of God. We can come with boldness because we come in a mediator, a high priest, and to make our requests known. So because of Christ, we can come without fear into the presence of a holy God and call Him our Father. That's what speaks of better things than of Abel. Well, that's great. That's what grace is all about. But here's what we forget. He's still the same holy God. Yes, we call Him Father. Yes, we can come and sit in His lap and be in His presence and be close and intimate with Him. He wants us to be that. But we can't ever forget that He is a holy God because what happens is we try to bring God down to our level and make Him what we want Him to be instead of God at work in us to bring us up to His level and make us what He wants us to be. And when we do that, there's a word in the Bible for it. It's called idolatry. We make God into what we want Him to be. And then we have a God that's serving us instead of a God that we're serving. So what, is, what do we do with this? We've just talked about we're in a different place than they were at the base of Mount Sinai. We have a mediator that stands there and he's taken the punishment. He's made us right and just in God's eyes so we can come into his presence without fear of being judged or fear of condemnation. Look at verse 25. 
See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who indeed refused, who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? You see, if we forget he's a holy God, we can, we can, we can come to the same place that those Israelites did and well, we can be lax about our commitment to him. We can be so lax, we don't realize there's an enemy out there trying to pull you away from Him, trying to pull you walking away from Him and to, and to ultimately reject Him. And that doesn't happen overnight. So what keeps us close to Him is when we keep a burning reverence and love for Him. And that's what He's warning here. See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. For if they did not escape or refused Him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we, talking to the church, not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised, saying, Yet once more, and I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. And right now, there are things being shaken in our lives as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain so whenever there's a shaking of something it's a separation they used to take in the old days they would clean a carpet in the springtime by hanging it over a line and they would beat the carpet there were carpet beaters they were looked like a tennis racket and they would smack it because what would happen is when you hit it the dust that had been embedded in the fibers of that rug would be shaken out of it so that the only thing that remained was the pure fibers of the rug that the manufacturer of that rug intended to be in it. And whenever there's a shaking going on like there is right now, it's a time when the things that are built into our lives that were not put in there by God, that are not eternal, will be shaken out so that we can see it and we can forsake it. And we can allow just the pure nature of God and the pure things of God be the things that remain in our lives. He's talking to the church here. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. That means let us be thankful by which we may serve a God acceptably with reverence. This is what's so lacking in the church today is a reverence for the God we serve. I know of churches, and we can, I've seen it here, people here are just casual about God. We're doing an altar call, and people just get up and walk out. Well, I, what I needed to get done, this is just for them, I don't need it. It's a holy moment. And we've taken who this God is we serve. I mean, we've taken for granted that we can just come to church whenever we feel like it. And now we've been in a place for several months where you can't come to church except online. We realize, I believe it's a sorting out. I believe there are people out there who say, well, it's a good excuse enough to go to church anyway, so they're just going to kind of fall away. And there's others of us that are going to say, whoa, I know how much I need this. So it renews our commitment, I need to come. That's a shaking. Since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, let us be thankful, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. This is the God of the New Testament. He's still a consuming fire. It's, it, we'll talk next week. It's His holiness that is a consuming fire. It consumes anything in its presence that is not holy, 
That's the purity of who God is. But God loves you and me so much. God wanted you and me in His presence so much that He was willing to take His pure, holy Son, send Him here to this earth among uh, the uncleanliness that this earth is and us, and that He could take upon Himself humanity and then take upon Himself our uncleanness, our unholiness, our sin, and He would bear the full brunt of God's anger and God's consuming fire to consume that sin upon Himself that He might legally give to us His righteousness. Why did God do that? So that we could now come to Him in confidence and in boldness. Hebrews 10.19 says, having your conscience, your heart, cleansed from a guilty conscience, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. This is what grace is all about. But we can't ever forget two things. That the God in whose presence we can come now is a holy God. And we can't ever forget because of our unholiness it cost His Son His life so that we could come into the presence of this holy God. I want to end with two thoughts to leave you with and then we're going to give you a chance if you've never received this Christ to do that. I was reading this week in a book by A.W. Tozer and he makes about this God and he makes this comment and it's not a direct quote but this is, this is my summary of it. The early church and the church of really only several generations ago the church was God-centered The church of today has become man-centered. A God-centered church comes to church and lives to please and love and honor the God that's loved us so much without any reservation. The man-centered church comes to get what God's given for us. Yes, God has done these things for us. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God wants us blessed. But that's not to be the center of our lives. He's to be the center of our lives. And when we come, there's an old expression. God's called us to seek His face, not His hand. When we seek His face, His face is who He is. His hand is what He can do for us. But you can't get into His face without being within the reach of His hand. But you can be at the the stretch of His hand and not be close to His face. So we've got to become a God-centered church and no longer a man-centered church. If we're a God-centered church, God will more than take care of you and more than bless you. And the last comment, this is my own. You can know whether you've glimpsed His holiness or not by your reaction. Those angels that could see His holiness had a reaction. They couldn't help but cry out, Holy, Holy. Isaiah, when he saw his holiness, couldn't help but fall down and say, I'm unclean, I don't deserve to be here. Everyone else I can think of in the Bible, when they saw a glimpse of God's holiness, fell on their face and cried out for mercy because they saw this holy God and they reverenced Him. They, weren't, they didn't have to reverence Him. They couldn't help but reverence Him. 
We need to come to that place. And we can do that only by the help of the Holy Spirit. So much of the world, when you talk about God today, they want to avoid Him because they're afraid of Him. They're afraid that they're going to have to stand before Him someday and they're going to have to give an account for their lives. I've just spent two Sundays in my Sunday broadcast on, on WPRI talking about this. The root of fear is that we're going to die and have to come before Him. And we're going to have to stand His judgment. Yet the Bible says that what drives out that fear is a revelation of how much He loves us. Perfect love casts out fear. But that love is not because God loves you so much. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you've made mistakes. He knows you've done things wrong. And He loves you so much, He's just going to kind of turn the other way and say, you know, as we so often do with our kids, yeah, I, I know I said this, but I love you so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you some slack here and give you, make an exception. But if God did that, He'd no longer be holy. He'd no longer be pure. See, God had this problem. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely pure. And yet He loves an unpure people. He loves an unholy people, you and me. And He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to be able to come into His presence and talk with Him and, and, and receive from Him and be loved by Him and love Him back. He wants that. But if He reaches out and touches us, He'll kill us. Remember the old story of Midas, King Midas, who wanted everything he touched turned to gold? So one day he got his wish that whatever the first thing he touched, whatever he touched would turn to gold. And his daughter runs up to him and because he loves her, he wants to reach out and embrace her and he did. And she turned to gold. God wants to put his arms around you and love you. But he couldn't do that because of our unholiness. And he can't stop being holiness. So God, in an infinite act of love, said, I know what I'll do. I'll become one of you. I'll walk among you. I'll experience what your temptations are like. I'll taste what it's like to deal with the temptations and to deal with Satan. And then at the right time, I'll take your sin. I'll take your unholiness. I'll take your pride. I'll take your, your lust. I'll take your lying. I'll take everything you've ever done wrong. I'll take the, the pride of your heart and I'll take it upon myself and I'll bear the full judgment for that so that I can give you my righteousness and now I can legally put my arms around you and legally bring you into my home, into my family and make you my own and I can be your own. That's how much God loves you. But there's a side we have to play. This is something God offers to everyone. For God so loved the world. If you're in the world, it covers you. That He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would, not, would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So here is the, here's the deal as God puts it forth. He's done everything He can do. He sent His Son. He's paid for your unholiness so you can come to a holy God. But you have to receive that gift. And you receive it by believing in Christ. But I've got to explain to you a little bit of what that means. It doesn't just say, oh yeah, okay, I believe in Jesus. No. The word believe means to receive in your heart. To open your heart and receive it. I grew up my whole life in church. 
In fact, in my adult life, when, my, when we were first married, I was a deacon in my church. My whole life, I was taught to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. My whole life, I was taught to believe that Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world. But what I never realized I needed to do is that it had to be something I did personally. I had to ask that Jesus that paid for my sins into my life, and I had to receive Him as the one who paid for my sins. And one night in my mid -thir late 30s, one o'clock in the, in the morning in my living room, I made that decision. And I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I'm asking you to come into my life as my Savior. And I can only describe to you something happened to me I knew was so real. I suddenly knew inside of me he's real. He's alive. He's real. And he's now come to live in me. And my whole view of life changed that moment because I knew I had entered in to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God had entered inside of me. God had put his arms around me. If you've never done that, I want to help you this morning. Maybe you've done it before and you've just drifted away and you know you need to come back. Here's all you need to do. He's done it for you, but I want to help you receive that gift. Just repeat this prayer with me. Mean it as best you can. That's all you can do. And then I want to give you just one simple word of instruction. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me this much. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you prayed it again, I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to call our office tomorrow at 508-336-4110. 508-336-4110. And there'll be somebody there that'll answer the phone and we want to get some information into your hands to help you with this walk that you've begun today and they'll be happy to pray with you when you call. Or you can go online. We have a website for this at catchthetruth.com. Be here Wednesday night. We have a Wednesday night Bible, no, not Bible study anymore. We're doing a prayer night on Wednesday night. Come and join us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Find out what prayer will do in your life. Also, uh, in just a moment when we end, you can go right over to WPRI. Our program is on there, Catch the Truth. I sit down and I just talk directly into your hearts about the time we're in and the answers that God has. And I'm talking about being, being overcoming fear in your life. So tune in and, and, and check that out. And come back next week at 9.30. 
especially of those of you that you've just done this for the first time, because we're going to continue on in this. You were not here by accident today. God loves you. Come back for our appointment next week. We love you and appreciate you. We're going to end with a little bit of worship. Thank you. We'll see you then. All right, we're going to go ahead and sing the God who was and is to come. And as we do, we want you to go ahead right where you are to join us in worship. And we look forward to being together with you again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The God who was and is to come. Here we go. The God who was and is to come. The power of the risen one. The God who brings the dead to life. Yeah, the God of miracles. Bless you all. We love you. Look forward to being with you again.